0: Welcome to Influence Me, a series of podcasts where the prime focus is leadership. I'm Assistant Commissioner Andrew Short, and I'm going to be hosting a series of podcasts where I get to interview a variety of guests, both internal and external to QFES. The topic is something extremely important to us, and one that is central to the success of QFES. I want to talk with these guests about leadership, and I want to learn more about leadership from the thoughts and experiences of others. I want to be influenced. Today's guest is the Deputy Commissioner for the Emergency Management, Volunteerism and Community Resilience Division within the Queensland Fire and Emergency Services. Uh, He's actually my boss, and I'm sure there's people out there who are going to wonder whether I should be more concerned about the dangers of interviewing your own boss, but we'll see what what comes out. I've come to know Mike over the uh, now four or five years that he's been with us. Mike and I have got um, a lot of very similar values I would pose, and I'd be happy to hear Mike talk about that later on, just to give you a bit of a sense of Mike's role. He's a responsible executive in our organisation for the state emergency service, the rural fire service, and also our community resilience and risk mitigation components that require coordination across the department. With Mike commencing his service in Victoria as an operational firefighter, he has been able to participate in many different functional and operational roles and certainly is a, a big advocate of volunteerism for us and across the nation. Mike holds a Bachelor of Applied Science in Environmental Management and Land Use Policy, a Diploma in Firefighting Operations and Fire Management, and a Graduate Diploma of Business within the context of strategic management. He was awarded the National Emergency Medal for the 2009 Black Sunday Fires in Victoria and was a participant in the Executive Fellowship Program of Australia and New Zealand School of Government, also known as ANZOG, in 2017. In 2019, Mike received the Australian Fire Service Medal, the AFSM, for consistently demonstrating exceptional leadership to enhance volunteerism in emergency services and driving organisational change. Now Mike, today we've agreed that we're going to speak about mission command and I believe it's something incredibly important to you. If I asked you what is
1: your one or two liner that describes mission command, what would that be? Thanks Andrew and thanks for the the nice introduction there. I Uh, and there is no risk in uh, interviewing your boss, I've got to say. <laughs> uh, oh, he says now. He says now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, and and you're right. Leadership has many different facets to it. And one of the things that through my 30-plus years in environmental services that I've been quite passionate about, and I've been very fortunate in my career to have many supervisors, managers, and mentors, in fact, that have through their probably own history, particularly uh, military and defence history, have applied the concepts and what I would call the cultural philosophy of mission command. In many cases, mission command is often sort of seen as purely a military-based concept, but I think it bodes very well for fire emergency services in terms of a range of different characteristics. But to, to answer your question more specifically, kind of the one or two liner about what is mission command is, the best way I would describe it is really a cultural philosophy that is about delegating authority and decision-making to the lowest and most appropriate level. To, and, and that is done through mission orders or what we would probably more often call incident objectives and through a commander's intent that actually empowers the frontline leaders to conduct their action with some level of agility, and being able to be adaptive to the changing circumstances that they would uh, foresee.
0: It's interesting, Mike. Uh, my own little bit of research, even though I felt like I had a, a reasonable understanding of mission command, but looking into the background and the history, and certainly you know, we can go right back to army doctrine and publications which talk about how the basis of mission command and and what it is and what it is, isn't I find that. Sort of ap- the application of that in the military sense, uh, it actually makes a nice transition over to our world in our operations. And I enjoy us using Mission Command now more than ever. I think we can go a long way further with it, I think we can get probably better understanding, a shared understanding within our different levels of leadership within QFES, and that's something that you and I have closely aligned on. Now, Mission Command talks about, it uses the term mutual trust as being central to it. What does that mean for you?
1: Look, there's several key key aspects or key elements to have a the concept and, the, and, and as I go back to the cultural aspects of mission command, you can write it in doctrine, you can write it in different ways, but fundamentally it's a cultural philosophy. And so the, the aspects of mutual trust uh, sit at the core of effective mission command. I would describe trust and often we don't unpack trust in terms of what it actually is. And part of trust is made up of competence. So you have a trusted relationship either within a team with your uh, your manager, your supervisor, but also your subordinates, you have that trust based on the competence and the abilities of of those individuals. The other key aspect of of that mutual trust, and as you say, it is a mutual trust because it's got to be two ways, not just one way, is the, the aspects of reliability. And I often describe this in never promise uh, something you can't deliver on because that's breaking that trust bank That you establish with your people and so that's the reliability piece and the the third uh, component of of mutual trust for mine is about sincerity and i'm sure many of us have worked in different teams where all the right things are said but you can sense one way or another that it's not sincere and because of that lack of sincerity then you don't have the full investment, if you will, in terms of whether it be achieving an outcome or when things get really tough, you can start seeing fractures in teams. And um, so that sincerity aspect, looking out for each other is absolutely crucial to the trust component. And I think the other bit about mutual trust is to understand that that in the relationship of cohesive teams, so foreign services, we all operate as teams in whatever we do sometimes it doesn't always feel that way, or even if you 're doing an individual task uh, and, and then it's but you're still part of a team and I often describe the fact that we 're part of multiple teams at any given time and just being clear about what team you're actually with and and what your uh, your objectives and your, your mission is at that particular time so they're the key bits for mine in terms of what the the fundamental piece of mutual trust
0: what goes along with mission command just like trust does is a need to accept prudent risk can you talk a bit to what does that mean and why
1: yes certainly so acceptance of prudent risk is um, and you you need to understand the context of this in in the aspects of other uh, components of mission command philosophy and so if i go back to say a commander's intent Mater's intent is not a prescriptive set of orders that says you'll do these things in this order, in this way, and it's so prescriptive that there is no room to move. We can't operate like that because we, in, in the same way the military have constant uh, a changing enemy, if you like, for them, our equivalent of that in terms of an enemy, and I'll put this in a response context, but you can apply it in the same aspect of normal business day to day, is that the disasters, the events, the incidents that we're dealing with, aren't always predictable and so the intent of actually having a commander's intent is describing what success w- would look like as an outcome, uh, not being prescriptive about that. And the reason I kind of describe that in the context of accepting prudent risk is there's there's a couple of components that kind of go with this. If I described it as an example of for the frontline incident manager, could be the crew leader, could be uh, an incident controller. Acceptance of prudent risk is actually there is many opportunities at different times where we will be able to contain a fire or take certain opportunities in a lull of weather to actually achieve the emission objective. And to do that, you actually need to sometimes take risk. There is, uh, in, in, in our environment, we're dealing with disasters, they're chaotic environments, and so you need to actually understand that every decision has a risk element to it, but understanding what that risk is. Obviously, the life, and protection of life for our own people in the community is forefront of mind. So you're not going to kind of compromise those sort of risks. But there are other other things that you can actually manage and deal with in the context of risk.
0: Yeah, Mike, just to to your point around risk, because I'm always interested in why organizations become risk averse in different ways. and, And sometimes there's a real need for it but to have it applied uh, during dynamic moments and, and you know, talking about particular operations, there's an expression which is probably going to stay with me for my, for my life, and that is that real-time decisions are never perfect. What's your take on that expression, that people's desire to have
1: neat, perfect solutions, that we're not always going to be able to achieve that? Yeah, look, a great example, uh, Andrew, that – we're never in an environment, even in our uh, normal planning processes, in an environment where you can achieve one hundred percent outcome and success. Certainly not in a response context. And so, understanding uh, part of that ex- acceptance of risk is kind of the internalized risk of the examples I used of our personnel or or other activities in terms of say a disaster that you're dealing with. But I think the other component, and and there's political lenses of risk and and environmental ones and a whole lot of other legal uh, aspects of risk. But to to your point about the aspects of, uh, and I often describe this in terms of being our cultures can be risk adverse, as you say, and also compliance-based. And so you can have this model where we're very reliant on the orders and unless we've got a direct order, we won't take action. And yet, as a frontline leader, you can see what needs to get done. If you've got the right assessments in terms of the environment that you're dealing with, the capabilities of your team, and these goes to a couple of other key tenants within mission command in terms of the competencies and the training and the behaviours of your team. But it goes to the key key aspect of actually, if you understand those elements, then you can make a decision without needing and having a centralized command decision that says yes you can go and do this it actually allows you and it's not bureaucratic it's not hierarchical it's basically based on a leadership style of what we would often call delegated or transformational type leadership styles
0: yeah, and, and so much good to, can come out of this. The important thing, the message for people listening to this is that there's so much information around Mission Command online from a, a range of sources. I'm conscious of the time, Mike, so I'm just going to wrap this up a little bit. And that is the expression that your Mission Command is something which will it promotes freedom and speed of action and allows initiative within defined constraints. And I think that's a nice way of saying we want to give our people the chance to make local choices and not feel like they're going to have to just stay true to a black and white doctrine or, or rule book. And it's quite a, you know, and it's not an easy thing because, depending on a person's experience, you know, their ability to construct a, a solution which is being uh, contextualized to the, the very situation may be a challenge. So, oh, yeah, I, I do recommend to people, we're never going to be out of cover. Uh, all the ins and outs of mission command in a in a twenty minute
1: podcast. So, any final thoughts on mission command, Mike? Thank you, Andrew. And you, you summarized that very very well. There there are a lot of online and good reading. Um, one, I'm a bit of a fan of uh, Transforming Command by Shamir. It's got a military context to it, but it it really shows some of the challenges because because you need to understand also understand what mission command is not. So in this delegated authority about empowering people, it's not just a freedom of action, do whatever you reckon's right. It's absolutely not that. You need discipline. You need actual understanding. You need mutual understanding of trust. You need those competencies in a well-trained workforce. You need, and these are some of the key tenets within QFES, about you need those shared understanding of our values and you need to actually have a really clear understanding of a commander's intent and what that looks like. And so that sort of whole aspects sort of, we're a disciplined organisation. Uh, this is a approach, a cultural approach to empowering our people, with a whole lot of structure and a whole lot of training and development of our people that sort of sits behind this. And I think, as you said earlier in the uh, the conversation, that in some aspects we are doing this. In other aspects, I think we've we've still got a lot of learning to do. And and I think that's great. As a learning organisation, um, that's exactly what we want to be doing yeah pr- precisely. Now, now, just
0: going into the final phase here, and this is something I do with every guest, Mike, and it's five questions which I ask. So if you're comfortable we'll move into that. The first question is what do
1: you wish you really understood the The things that i uh, wish I really understood uh, is always more about people. Uh, people are our fundamental piece of our business. I'd like to think I have a good understanding of people, but we are such a diverse uh, both organisation but as, even as a race in society. Uh, I would love to understand more about people and what drives people.
0: I feel the same way. Question two, what do you wish that other people understood about you?
1: Uh, Great, insightful question. Um, People, I I wish people would actually take the time to learn about what's more beyond the uniform, beyond the rank, beyond the positional title because we are a uniformed organisation and rank and sometimes that can get in the way of understanding of individuals and what actually drives individuals. So I'd like people to have a better understanding of what drives me.
0: Yeah, that there's a, a person there who uh, has v- values and makes judgments, has got a family, has got you know issues like we all have. It's, it's interesting that the, the uniform can sometimes put a veneer uh, over the top of that, but I don't have the answer to that today. The third question, what's the strangest question anyone has ever asked you?
1: Yeah, really tough. That's a really interesting question, Andrew. And I've, I've got to say, the thing that comes to mind is uh, just this question <laughs> actually been asked what's the strangest question you've been, ever been asked? Uh, I, uh, I would have to reflect more on that one, but that would be uh, my answer.
0: And, and between you and me, Mike, and the people who are listening to this, I'm actually surprised that others haven't answered it like that.
1: <laughs> but anyway, <laughs>
0: you, you've, you've actually taken that high ground. So that's very good of you. Now, number four what type of leader do you prefer?
1: Certainly an empowering leader that sets the vision and is clear about their broad expectations, but is not prescriptive in how that is achieved. Get the job done, report back, keep in touch. uh, And that's fundamentally in the concepts of what we're talking about here today. Excellent.
0: Question five, how do you prefer to deliver bad news? In person, by text message, which is apparently more common with the younger generation, or by carry pigeon?
1: No, it's got to be in person. Interestingly, even at this time in terms of uh, social distancing or physical distancing, depending on the term you want to use, there's nothing to stop from being still very uh, much connected in person to you, person. You can't deliver it any other way.
0: Mike, has it gotten easier for you? I find that through trial and error, making every mistake in the book in terms of trying to I- interact with someone on a difficult issue, it, I feel That if I, particularly if I structure myself and prepare for something, I'm
1: I'm, I'm likely to do a little bit better. What's been your experience? Yeah, very similar. Um, I wouldn't say it gets easier. What you get better at, though, is thinking through the different issues and the traps, if you like, the potential outcomes and making sure, and you, you said this, which is absolutely crucial, is the preparation piece. I tend to, I know from my own EQ aspects of, uh, and self-awareness that I, I tend to be very gut instinct uh, orientated from a leadership perspective. And so making sure I do preparation for those sort of things is crucial. That brings us
0: to the end of our little chat. And Mike, thank you very much for jumping in and, and, and doing this with me. I've found every discussion I have with a, now a range of people that I've been doing this with, I actually learned something. And that's the buy-in for me, and I do hope that anyone who's listening to these podcasts that they go away knowing a bit more about something than they didn't. For me, it works quite well into my desire to be a lifelong learner. We both can agree that our Mission Command is something which is central to our life as professional emergency service officers, and I look forward to us being able to evolve the use of mission command within our own organisation and more broadly across the sector. So anything final you'd like
1: to say, Mike? Oh, no, just thank you for the opportunity, Andrew. And uh, also thank you for taking the initiative to to do these podcasts. So it's a, it's a great thing. It's a great conversation to have with fundamentally a team-based and a leadership-based organisation. So um, thank you very much for the opportunity. Well done.
0: Well, th- thank you
1: very much, Mike,
0: and, and have a great day. Thank you.